You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. But yeah, you, uh, you're talking about the Manchester and the, the buildings and the layout. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's mad now that I think I, it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous city in the sense that it's a combination of urban, but very natural in the way that it's urban, both modern and quite ancient, um, kind of pre 20th history it's so it's not ancient really of course um but you know what i mean it's yeah very, yeah i know what you mean yeah it's very yeah. industrial it's very and i know a lot of people aren't really a fan of that maybe but i think personally it has its own charm it has um a re- real history that comes from manchester obviously is like the cotton industry the textile industry and the, the fact that it has come through adaptations and it's kind of translated into sort of living and accommodation because it's a very, you know, a very attractive city for students. We have so many international students. It's about, I think, um, a third of our economy is made up of um, students uh, really? themselves. Wow. Yeah, it's mad. Um, and generally, I think it's just a hub for all things art, all things media, which is, you know, where I l- happily happily support and you know want to always step in with whatever project's going on um but yeah i can i can be more grateful to be in manchester but yeah <laughs> yeah well i can um i can we might have a lot of connection as far as um maybe at least being around that i grew up in oh you're gonna dig this i grew up in Pawtucket, rhode island east coast you know? wow oh nice oh my so, god so check this out the connection with with manchester and all that stuff the Mm. first mill was put on the blackstone river uh in Pawtucket, rhode island so it's deemed the birthplace of the american industrial revolution that's so So, cool that's yeah so they (laughs) stole the plants from over there in england dragged them here right (laughs) this dude said i i figured out how to do this put it down and um so it powered, it powered the, so it was, uh, you know, it was on the river, the mill. Mm. And what it did was it, it powered all the uh, mechanics to, um, uh, they would call it mule spinning with the um, right. fabric and the wool and all those mechanisms. So that's how it was powered. So where I grew up was mm. like the earliest kind of like industrial U.S. area. And that's what I grew up in the after, you know, like 1980s. Right. You know, kind of like the collapse, the same kind of trend you see in, in England where that collapse in the 80s of the, you mm. know, the Thatcher and Reagan and all this conservative yes. ideology. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's a long story. I, I'm guessing, Zainab, we're going to be able to talk about probably a billion things, but we should probably like welcome the listeners into <laughs> Yeah, since <laughs> since we've been waiting to talk with each other, we haven't talked yet. We've just emailed, but we uh, yeah. uh, we connect probably. And I, I want to learn a bunch uh, really about uh, the things that you do. But everybody, we're talking with uh, Zainab uh, Imran. Is that the best pronunciation? Yeah. Yeah, Zainab perfect. Imran. Uh, we're reaching her from, as you might have heard, talking a little bit about industrial background uh, from Manchester, uh, England. And, um, and, uh, I just really want to welcome you onto the, sh- onto the show. Thank you and, so um, much. Yeah. Thank, thank 
could, I, I wanted to say just the chance happening of what, what I dig is um, just seeing you read poetry. I'm very kind of impacted, but when you see a poetry performance, that's like that, um, like, you know, I, I still have that sensitivity. So that I just saw that. And um, then I saw you made zines and uh, you work in kind of like uh, work with community organizing and you're active in the community. So a whole bunch of things to talk about, but um, why don't you just uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the things you're doing, like maybe even start with the zine and the type yeah. of poetry you do. It'd be a great introduction for the listeners. Of course. Thank you. That was such a gracious introduction regardless, <laughs> though. Thank you so much. It of means course. so much. Um, yeah, I think I began poetry, I want to say, in written form, I, I guess around early sort of adolescent young adult kind of vibe I'm gonna say around the age of maybe 14 15 is when I got serious I guess 10 11 12 is when you're kind of figuring out how to rhyme and everything because they've been you know giving you the the awful kind of I guess poetry that you don't really gel with at that moment then you know you start sort of step put your toe in here and there and whatnot so and then I think I never got, I didn't get serious about it until I, I want to say maybe two, two and a half years ago um, about like performing. Yeah. Um, and that that's, it comes as a shock to people, of course, as well. I, I, I did have some, yeah, some shock in that actually. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. It's, I think I just was very much like still finding my footing in the literature scene because I'm a, I'm a huge reader I love reading I do an English degree um and I want to you know pursue sort of academia within like English and creative writing especially I think I kind of realized as much as I can love Larkin as much as I can love you know uh I have a special place my heart for Robert Frost especially as well oh my gosh yeah cannot be cannot beat Frost in my opinion and I feel I feel like I then kind of gelled back into the contemporary UK scene of poetry, which is very much not as developed, unfortunately, as the American okay. scene. Because yeah, okay. you have brilliant American poets, I think. But I definitely oh, sure. yeah. yeah. Nowadays, I, I'm sort of like Chen Chen, Kaveh Akbar. I'll talk more about obviously the poets that really inspire me. But um, I got to write down mine so we can get back to it too. Keep going. Yeah. um but uh, yeah I think I definitely just picked up on poets from the UK of like diaspora especially that is is, it's really interesting it is kind of an aged term to say like a diaspora poet or a poet from you know a a person of color a poet of color because I feel you know they're they're everywhere (laughs) it's not like a unique kind of individual label we can give anyone I think anymore because it is very much leveled out the playing field from I'd say like the late 90s um but definitely it was kind of seeing how people take colonial history uh post-colonial history and immigrant history especially as well that I was like and you know Manchester is a very much just an immigrant hub next to London it's you know London Birmingham these are all like the massive you know uh, multicultural cities um, but Manchester has its own rich deeply deeply rooted history in immigration migrant sort of 
uh, Windrush especially. So I think I was very much intrigued by the struggle from like the 60s onward. And I always say to my mum and like my parents, God, I have it easy <laughs> when it comes to being a person of colour compared to, and being like a creative um, compared to whatever people had to go in the 70s. You can find more space in that sense. Like absolutely for you yeah. to, for you to do what you would like to do now. For real. Honest yeah. to God, it's, it's so much more base. Yeah, it is very much the idea of generating space and keeping space is very much something that isn't, I think, focused on enough because people will do an event, uh, people will hold a space and it will happen and it will stay, not to repeat myself, but in space, it will stay kind of yeah. static there and never is there anything that comes from it or is not not further developed. So very much there are very few unique kind of events and companies, charities that I feel have really reached out and been able to nurture people like me and myself and you know so many of my friends who are also you know performers po poets writers um but I would say yeah it's kind of it's been a roller coaster for one thing and the zines is a whole other thing because that was I think I was very much frustrated by the inability to get published work you know well, let's, like that, let's, yeah. let's geek out let's geek mm. out on zines now yeah <laughs> absolutely I think zines are the most underrated yet are arguably the most significant sort of object of creative history that not a lot of people have been able to I think be introduced to it's not even like a gate kept sort of creative community yeah. at all it's so accessible it's yeah. very much like anyone can do it but then you kind of like why isn't anyone you know showing me what they're making in their spare time they're collaging or you know um picking flowers from their local park and something and being like it reminded me of this person because we tripped over this stone and they fell into this bush and it was near these flowers like there's gorgeous stories behind scenes I feel and I felt there's obviously not an artifice but there's a certain authority when it comes to publishing of course and sure. I love yeah I love the authority that I have with zines in that I can you know make it very personal or make it very private and because it is nothing huge it's nothing like a huge magazine or a, a quarterly sort of publication where you've got like a, a whole host of brilliant um, pieces of art pieces of literature pieces of, like reviews and everything um, so I guess it was kind of just me foolishly being like, I'm very frustrated by being rejected from publishers, um, or from magazines. Let me do something myself. And from then I was like, I actually enjoy it more than having to listen or getting, you know, a cold shoulder from a, from an editor. So yeah. Yeah, people might think I... that's a bit malicious of me to say though, but it no. does, yeah. No, it's like, <laughs> it, um, you, you're talking too about like, um being able to 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 control and to mm -hmm. like side and allow out what i found that i don't know when i started like creating things regularly about four years ago be paintings podcast etc um i found that um I had an experience trying to go through a way, you know, my, my, my life in history is tied to, to being a union rep. Mm, uh, that's, that's, brilliant. My, that's, I, I, yeah. I moonlight with art. Mm. So 
I, I just became really fascinated by, um, by just how, how I was trying to, how I was trying to handle that and how I was trying to, you know, how I was trying to do that. I didn't want to have to go through anybody. I felt like I was at an age, you know, I was like 45, I'm 50 now. So I'm like, I don't want to like have to be asking people like to go through things. I want to ask people directly who I want to talk to Mm -hmm. about doing the thing with me. I don't want to worry about the door. I want to be like, do you want to come talk and play? And so, and I think zines in that same type of way, I found very much the same. I'm like, well, I'm not trying to push out things to get published. I never had time or didn't dedicate myself in that particular way. Mm. I've had things published, but I didn't spend a lot of time there. So with zines and podcasting, it seems like, well, you got an idea, push it. You don't have to ask anybody. And uh, pretty freeing, huh? Zena? It is. That, yeah. that is exactly it. It's that, yeah, the whole, the whole permission thing is kind of like, I think my dad was just saying today as well, like, imagine we're going to reach a point of where we have so much information at our hands that we're going to not know what to do with ourselves. I was yeah. like, well, we we do know what to do with ourselves because we're doing stuff for ourselves. I think we're kind of, you know, not wanting to reverse gear and be like, is this okay according to, you know, whatever, whatever. Do I need to go through here and this? You're like, no, you have the means, you have the resources, so why not? And as you say, like being a union rep, was it you were saying, right? Yeah. And how practical you have to be. And that is in of itself, because like I'm going not through it. I'm just recently uh, we've had, we had news of strikes um, within our university for about four weeks right and so two weeks have gone by and obviously I've been through it for like three years I'm so used to it and I obviously we all support the strike workers but now they've kind of reached an an ultimatum to agree so they've cancelled they've called off the strikes for now um but to go on campus and see people there every day the same people as well it's so inspiring and I think you're right and yeah people within the zine community especially very political people who I've met who have you know altered the way I think about space and the way I think yeah people can really impact you when you when they talk to you about um photography when they talk to you about landscaping or any sort of kind of medium they're very much authoritative and understanding of how to generate messages and I think that's the main thing I like about art is message because there is no such thing I think as you know art without a message and it's weird when people say to artists or musicians you shouldn't be political that is (laughs) that's yeah it's it's like like pull out pull out that thread and it you know the thing doesn't hold together it's within that context it's it's so controlling it's so Mm. You must now not say things of import because you've entered this milieu or something like that. You know, oh, I, yeah. I I don't I don't know. One of the things I wanted to mention, um, uh, and and just our probably some of our thinking with the zine uh, mm. podcast has a zine, and we'll be putting out yeah. the second issue, which is going to be an all indigenous uh, issue. Wow. Um, yeah, the second issue, and it's you know DIY and. Um, had the first issue, but just like uh, trying to display in a particular way, 
mm-hmm. um, artists or the sounds that I've come in contact with, like it'd be music and visuals or a special project. And as you know, like when you're into that tactile, when you, you know, you're in the bookstore, you're looking through the zines, they can be particularly and incredible as far as their composition, that there's mm-hmm. thread or embroidery or, you know, it might sound kind of weird just talking about it, but there's all these different forms. Yeah. And then you're yeah. talking about the super practical impact of a zine that says you're a black man, you got pulled over. Mm. Here's what you do. Like a zine that you look at and be like, just remember, this would be a good thing to do and not to do. Or I want to start a union where I work. Zine. Yeah. Like, what are the steps? You know, so just like it could be so much, you know, artful and towards that, but it can also be like, put this in your pocket and knowing when you're in this situation, how to get out of it. Yeah. It's, it's it's not even like a get out of jail free, but it feels like a little a little man in your in in your pocket <laughs> just giving you advice. Kind of. yeah, that's it's that's very true. And how you said about the, the 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 different formats and the different art forms, and I remember one of my friends. They're um they're an artist. Uh, they do architecture, and they had this gorgeous zine that they posted online, and it was just the pages were just letters, like cut out letters instead of like actual pages. So I think they were spelling a word, and I couldn't figure out what it was. I still need to ask them, like show me that zine. I really want to see it. Um, but even yeah, as you said, some photography ones that I've seen. There was one beautiful one that's on my shelf right now of um I got from a zine fest it was of someone who'd taken pictures after their grandmother had passed away and how I think it was about three months after how everything had been left untouched in the house um it was it's gorgeous I will send you um a picture of them as well if I can find I think I can see it right there actually and the um he was telling me how he hated how the hedge at the back garden had overgrown because she was so on it with like trimming the hedge constantly. You always see it one way. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's, that hits really hard. Just the idea of what you leave behind and the fact that everything continues with the bereaved and with who has been, you know, kind of taken from you. And the fact that, you know, the world, the home, the, the home in of itself doesn't, doesn't care for kind of static or kind of grief or anything it, it just collects dust it you know it still grows still collects water collects stamp collects you know mold in the ceiling it's so poignant so that kind of that zine really brings me down to earth in um and it, it is it is really depressing to, to kind of read so i don't read it all the time but yeah, it's, it's... um it's beautiful is, is all i can say there's it's very poignant yeah yeah, I wanted to, um, I wanted to, before, I wanted, there's a couple points, like I stop signs for myself here, and it's <laughs> not even the bigger, it's not even the bigger questions, but I wanted to take the opportunity because I've done, you know, done over 180 uh, shows, and I've mm. had a, just a variety of different type of uh, artists, and I've done mm. it for long enough that I think back within a category and being like, who, what type of poets that I've had? And um, I just wanted to mention just a bit, I, you know, within my first 10 episodes, I think I had uh, Bunkan Tuan, who's in my friend BK, um, who I went to university with the university of Massachusetts, very close and dear to my heart. Um, And uh, he, 
um, is just an incredible, incredible poet and, and friend and uh, a collaborator of his, Joanna Valente, which is close to my last name. I had her mm. on um, and she talked a lot of, about a lot of um, gender issues and um, really uh, socially important uh, issues. I remembered when I interviewed Seamus Murphy, who's the director for PJ Harvey, Polly Jean Harvey's um, videos, that she had done a book which explored um, uh, Afghani Lande. I believe it's pronounced Lande poetry, mm. like a style of poetry there. Right. So, um, and there's a few, like I've had just these incredible experiences in, uh, talking about poetry. When you said Robert Frost, I want to tell you, just a weekend or two ago, mm. um, I was with um, my girlfriend, Jenny, and we were going through the Oregon Garden where you can see hundreds. It's it's cold here right now or colder. Right. Um, yeah. You can see hundreds of plants and firs and trees and everything like this. And when we were going by birches, and I, I'm from New England, so I point yeah. out like, Jenny, I got to tell you my special connection because Robert Frost did this poem, Birches, and I, mm. I've listened to it where he sings it. He uh, reads it in his gravelly Robert <laughs> Frost. I can't even possibly do it. New England voice. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm just, I hadn't thought about birch trees in, in, in a while. There are as many birches are out in the Western U.S. as the U.S., but mm. I had Robert Frost going through my head just uh, like two weeks ago. So when you said Robert Frost, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I need to talk about my Robert Frost. Um, oh, that's brilliant. Oh so my the, gosh. Yeah, famous poem, uh, Birches. Mm. And there you can find a audio recording of him him reading that reading, poem. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it um, takes a lot from, from the mind, I think, when you hear a poet for Birches. Is, that's, that's insane. That's such a, what a brilliant connection that is as well. I, and yeah. It is, uh, <laughs> The one, the one other thing I wanted to mention is, um, I, uh, I, I drop in and out of poetry, um, mm -hmm. kind of like picking it up a bunch and then getting some more later on. But, uh, a uh, one poet that I really like that I wanted to mention is Morgan Parker uh, from the U S who did a, a collection. There are more beautiful things than Beyonce. I'm not sure if you ever Ooh, heard of that. Oh my yeah. God. Oh, um, wow. yeah. So I wanted to mention Morgan Parker, um, and uh, like you said, there are so many great um, uh, American poets find themselves like in independent presses and, and such. Mm. Can you tell me, um, so you go out there and you're in front of a camera and you're delivering <laughs> like important, uh, impactful poems. No, but just how do you see when we talk about poetry, how do you see it? Is, is it how, you, you know, how are you putting it together in that form? And in, in, yeah. in conjunction with delivering it, like you deliver it, what's that, what's that whole, what's it mean to you? Yeah, it's, I sometimes wonder if sometimes I, <laughs> when a poet that I'm kind of friends with, one time he said, um, if, it, if he could be a singer, he would have been a singer, not a poet. Like if you could say, I, I was kind of like thinking like, is that just what I want to do as well? But no it is the process is kind of like you you just have a mind splurge of course and I think I definitely learned from yeah poets other poets as well is that the most mundane makes the most interesting 
conversation starter sometimes. So you can talk about, I think, you know, I saw this truck fly by me and I thought it was the tree kind of whispering run, but really it was a plastic bag coming outside from the back. And something like that, when you say that with some sort of, you know, conjecture and power to an audience, they're like, okay, but who was whispering to you? But like, you know, these kind of, you you kind of have to realise how practical certain, you know, vernacular certain images can be when it's written down on paper. And I think it is definitely just looking at other performers that I've aspired um, to be like as well. And I am a huge believer in notes and just constantly raking through and making sure I know when to pause and I know when to hit an impact and everything because I love to kind of re I hate the sound of my own voice but you know record read it back and everything as well that is an instinctual I think isn't like an instinct thing now for me that I'm like okay does this make sense to my brain how is that gonna you know process to others as well um but I think for performing it is pretty much this like how do I know what will fall flat and what will you know there's some times where where it's been like someone's come up to me afterwards they're like that line you did about you know the chameleon or something that hit me really hard that was brilliant and I'll be like that was not the line I expected to hit hard folk it's it's really it's so unpredictable as well because there are certain moments where you read a line very differently and you kind of alter the room and you alter the, you shift it quite a bit, I feel like, as well, if you um, kind of pronounce something a little more in within a sentence rather than like the the very final word. Because I feel like a lot of people assume the very final words are what can give you clarity about a poem. But I, I, I kind of disagree in that, in that you have to kind of see what's setting up and I love when poets set up something beautiful something you know audacious or uh, absolutely seemingly obnoxious and then when it ends in like a really blunt sentence you're like wow so you wanted me to get that thing initially but yeah. I was waiting for something else and now you just you know throw me off my feet um, yeah. I'm yet to <laughs> capture that perfectly I know so many poets that do do that really well um, but I think I was not very much I was I'm still not very confident in performing madly enough um which you know sounds ironic because I consider myself a performing poet so it's very ironic um yeah. but I'm still a hand on a, f- a hand a phone in my hand or a notebook in my hand if I want to be a bit classy for the evening <laughs> um and I just I think having the the ability to kind of look into someone and look, you know, eyes, windows to the soul, all that jazz, sure. But the idea of just interrupting yourself and kind of allowing disruption to emerge, I think is the thing that kind of keeps me wanting to perform is that I want to, sure, disrupt narrative, but disrupt disrupt the evening, disrupt the peace that people have carved in their minds about poetry because people see poetry as very peaceful, very, you know, clicking fingers having a good time and it is a good time it's it's all over the freaking universe all over the universe and super small and tiny and 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 huge too well well help help me out on the on on the performance and i want to i want to talk about that because um so uh there's pieces that i'll just talk about seeing as effective but when i first saw you that captured my eye and your delivery Mm -hmm. and what you were doing 
is, you know, even on what I saw is that the, the angle is up towards you and mm. your face is facing out and you're delivering and you're straight on, um, the delivering. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just right there. And, uh, there's a confidence, but I see, I'm like, who is this? I see the job and I'm like, and I, I'm reading about you back. No, like for me, I'm just, a, uh, I'm out here in Oregon. I'm like, yeah. and so I'm watching all of that too. And I wonder because poets, poets, poets are never meant to fit into the day. No, fabric. God, it's not no. like, oh, I'm walking down the street and the poets just talking. That's wonderful. The poets just talking. It's poetry is poetry. People are like what's going on. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I, I get captured, you know, by that moment and by, by that there. And, Thank um, you. you know, just, just to affirm it, mm. it's both visually and sonically where you're like, you're looking in and, 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 and you're following what happens for you. You're the only person on the other side and you're standing yeah. there. Tell us about what you see from the audience or like what, what that is yeah what do I, I see I thankfully see people as you said I really enjoy when people are very much enraptured because you yeah as you said poets we're not meant to have very exciting lives <laughs> we just we kind of just walk around and you know sort of dig out sort of little treasures sort of nuggets of ideas here and there <laughs> it is yeah it's a very very mundane life so when you when you get up on stage and when you you know, when you put yourself there, when you see everyone, and it's so bizarre because everyone is looking at you and looking for you to kind of command and, you know, sort of change the way that they're thinking. Because after every poet, you're going to change when it's an open mic, whether it's like a headline performance, whatever it is, you're going to change the way you, you thought about, sure, that person, but also what a specific word meant or, you know, does, does so this personal. image... Yeah, it be and so there it is yeah absolutely like the the image I think the other night when I went to I I did like a show or something someone had a beautiful image of um the sickle cell which is uh, well it was a disease obviously the sickle cell disease yes but this you know image of the moon this image of you know the grim reaper this image of harvest of a harvest moon of expansion of um, closing in you can't get through your your, vos uh, your vessels and I was like staring at them in such awe and I was like wow that's insane and so when you yeah the, how people reciprocate to me I think is I see thankfully very much enraptured people and I love to kind of look up look around just so everyone knows I, I feel like a little teacher sometimes I'm like I want everyone to know I'm looking at you and I want you to take this in yeah. it's not for me anymore yeah. um yeah. what's for me is you know the thousands of sticky notes that I've written poems on that are under a floorboard that's for me <laughs> this this stuff is for you and I you know I want you to absorb I want you to you know rip it to pieces afterwards if you want if you can remember any of it yeah but I think yeah it's and I love that people follow tradition and it's so unspoken when people like click their fingers 
um people saying yes people saying woo halfway through I'm like I don't care about tradition at that point I'm like do what yeah react show me show me this is the this is the Shakespeare like the globe at this point just react tell yeah, me what you're yeah. feeling art, art free for all <laughs> yeah I'm sick and tired of one-way communication with poetry because it should never be one way and I think Mona Arshi is this brilliant poet. She describes it perfectly in that poetry, the best sort of poetry is meant to shift your atoms. It's meant to do something kind of like a bodily reaction almost. And I thought that is the most beautiful, gorgeous piece of advice next to, you know, life lesson about poetry that you could learn. Um, And it's not even something you should aspire to either. It's just something you should look out for when you're going through and listening to poets and being like this did shift something in me um so thankfully I, I don't get to see anyone sort of like you know tearing up or anything like that <laughs> that, that would send me off the edge completely yeah well <laughs> yeah the, if it you know the the boundaries <laughs> and the issues of you know reciprocity or like yeah exchanges <laughs> exchange um <laughs> I uh I wanted to um I want we got to hit one of the big ones we get one of the big questions here because like you know we can go in a lot of different directions but i want to so what is and talking about art um i wanted to ask you one of the big questions i ask uh what is art or what what do you what do you think art is i love that i actually i love that question in fairness though i think it's 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 such as it's it's a scary one because it's like one of those once you get in like a job interview or something, <laughs> and you, could, like, you could get like 5 billion different answers and they could still not hire you. Um, but I think, well, I, I have a personal story for it, to be fair. And even though in the, in the context of what that person said to me, it was talking about literature and the significance of literature, obviously art, literature, they all fall under, you know, same umbrella as you know. Um and I can't say I'm like a, a painter or a sculptor or anything, obviously, but I remember my, uh, so we have something called A-levels, which is just what we do before we go into college or university, right? Okay. Um, and we just have to do specific, we specifically have to tr- choose three to four subjects and then you can choose from that whatever degree you want to do. So I kind of knew I wanted to do English, so I automatically did English literature. Um, so I'm there, I'm 16, I don't know you know, what I want to do with my life, really. Um, I want to be an author, but about 10 sort of counsellors have told me that's, you know, a kind of improbable, like it's not going to happen to you. It's sort of, you know, not going to happen to you, but kind of just, yeah. like, don't get your hopes up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And I remember my tutor, who I only had him for about six months, but he was very impactful in that short amount of time and he said he just asked us what do you think the purpose of literature is we were like um to store information to uh make a reader you know relate to a character to teach and you know all these like sort of mundane kind of answers that you'd expect and then he goes no <laughs> you're all wrong <laughs> we were like oh okay sure all right. <laughs> yeah we were like okay should we just should we just leave um <laughs> He was like, literature is an art, is the response to something wrong within society. Is when someone saw something horrific going on in the streets. It's when someone saw the French Revolution. Someone, you know, saw slavery occurring and said, 
this is wrong. This is not meant to be happening. Uh I'm going to have to respond to this. How do I, what do I do? How do I respond? Yeah. And some of us aren't, you know, aren't endowed with um, sort of political power. We aren't very privileged. We don't have, you know, mummy daddy's money and able to sit in houses of parliament or in the senate or anything like that so we returned we turn to art and we make commentary sure that is the right word um but i think a lot more just active protest and you can look at it from any perspective whether it's kind of like very emotional and some people obviously that say arts are very narcissistic, and we are. <laughs> I can't, I can't deny that we aren't, because um, we kind of, you know, in a society where we're all like, you know, working together, the cogs are working together. You know, you're meant to be, you're meant to be functioning. There's, a, there's ex, there always t- tends to be excesses, and then it can yeah. be excesses <laughs> of ego. Not to get into the whole psychology, but there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot. Absolutely. Oh God, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. In, and in no shape or form would I say that the ego is something that motivates all poets and all artists, though, either. Definitely, that's not how true art forms, though, I think, is um, is the main thing. And there's, you know, you could argue that so many po- so many artists, so many poets are there for the ego, there for the, you know, the praise. But it is a lot more protest, commentary, I think. And, yeah, just, sure, it is like the archiving and the keeping together of history keeping together is the awful phrase but kind of you know the restoring of history just so people understand um the bucket loads of information we have now and the you know instantaneous click of your finger and everything's there for you how does that come about through you know translation through globalization especially as well because art is so global art you know is meant to transcend language is meant to transcend any sort of class um age and i'd say like even gender even ethnicity is meant to cross boundaries and it shouldn't ever be contained whether it's contained within a community or contained from individuals from other people sure um but yeah this this idea is not very much now it's not a communal activity. I feel like it's very much like a public free for all, which I'm so happy, much more happier about. <laughs> as far as uh, the availability or the access, or even things like distribution of getting things, mm. you know, like you know, getting getting, <clears throat> pardon me, getting your things out there. I uh, I was a English lit and philosophy uh, major, nice. you know, as an undergraduate, and I. I went on to um, actually get a master's in uh, philosophy, which oh, that, that makes sense, and uh, labor studies, which I ended up, you know, uh, doing. But uh, I, I, I mean, the literature. I've been like, uh, folks who are listening might not know. There's a lot of books behind Zainab, so I've been like, they're, they're not, so I haven't real. complained to her. I haven't complained to her about this yet, but I've yeah. been like, um. So she would know, just like I would know, that when somebody <laughs> is showing books in whatever way, the person who is obsessed by books, which I know we share, is mm. going to be the what the what is that one and what the what's that one. And to add even more, yeah. I know you live in Manchester, which is far away. So I'm guessing there might be a lot of different books that are really cool that you would have picked out that I wouldn't have seen. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
absolutely yeah i think you're absolutely right and just the difference in not really audience but kind of the outreach as you said the distribution of of literature and what yeah what you pick up like when i go so you'd have like a barnes and would you usually go to like barnes and noble or like let me let me let me stop if for rate i got a bookstore that i've talked about mm. right nearby it's a used bookstore it's a block nice. and a half away from here browsers bookstore and Ooh. i get they they're revived and we go i go there and talk <gasps> uh art and um but yeah i got one nearby but the big one still out here just so you know is barnes and noble is like the only big mm. bookseller here in the u.s le- that that's left um yeah Sorry for that, Jag. I used to work in a bookstore, as you might imagine. So that's, that's <laughs> please, audience in Zainab. Just I'm not complaining. I okay. love it. I, I love hearing all bookstores. Yeah. <laughs> only so long you want to talk to the book clerk when they're the book clerk. True. <laughs> um, oh, so yes, um, uh, literature, literature, and philosophy. Mm. Um, how how was the, I'm sorry I just wanted yeah, to ask ahead. how yeah like what was it like doing the um turning to the philosophy side from kind of the combination of English and philosophy because um, yeah uh it's a I thank you for asking Com- complicated but I would say simply this um my first love uh, is literature mm. not anything whatever I cover or whatever I do in work or anything it's literature. It all stems, it all stems from there. But I think that, um, I just wanted to explore the questions that I was dealing that not dealing with that. Um, why did, why do, why did I read compulsively? Um, Mm. I read from an early age compulsively because, uh, it fit my mind. Um, I went to different worlds. Uh, if I felt uncomfortable in the spot that I was in, Mm. I could read, and, you know, not sound like just like strange and quaint, but I could very much be somewhere else. Yeah. And I started to interrogate like larger questions or things like reading like James Baldwin um, in, in the U.S. and the experience of African-Americans. And so then it was political. Mm. Um, but all those questions punched towards the conceptual for me, at least the way my mind developed. So like I could always explore them in literature and poetry and other things. But mm. I wanted to train myself in, you know, that like maybe the art of philosophy or the art, you know, of talking and, and engagement and exploration. But I got to tell you one thing that I know only in retrospect, as great as that is and as helpful it is for me, it was so limited to that narrow canon of white men mm-hmm. who were great philosophers, but only in retrospect that I truly realized because I kept studying on my own. Yeah. Wow. That's a important piece, but good gracious. There's so much more. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, that's when I went to school. It wasn't terribly long. It was long enough ago, but it's like, yeah. that, that's kind of how I feel, uh, how I feel about it. Um, I feel, I'll be honest. It, I don't think it's changed, unfortunately for a lot of places. So you're absolutely right. And in, in, yeah, that criticism is, is very like the only experience I've had in philosophy is because I do classics as a, a minor, I guess. Um, so I took a, a course in Seneca and Seneca and philosophy, 
um that was interesting yeah. <laughs> that was intriguing to move from I moved from like I had like an ancient um sort of like ancient origins kind of Greek poetry course and then I moved to Seneca the next hour and I was like <laughs> transported to Rome all of a sudden so yeah but yeah I love that you were kind of deeping and develop you know developing with the um with the philosophy and yeah I think questions are the most important thing we have as our tools and that is like the main purpose of any sort of philosoph- philosophical or literature kind of based discussion whenever whenever I'm talking to someone I want it, I want them to you know always be willing to hear a question out rather than just be like duh, duh, duh. and I really enjoy when lecturers are kind of very interactive that way even though some of them can be a bit a bit of a stretch and I'm not awake at night oh, in the morning yeah you've been <laughs> 70 minutes in and they're way over here, and you're like, oh, you're explaining something to me. I get it. You're very far away from the rest of us. That can happen at the at the uni, right? Yeah, God. Um, but uh, no, I've you know first love first love literature. I you know mm. um, really enjoy that. And I think one of the strange thing is, and I'm not sure if you've encountered this, but I've been you know intense in particular areas, and I think there's um, when you're in intensive like or or super interested in multiple areas i know when i studied philosophy i ended up being surprised because in my head i thought that most people come philosophy be so deeply into the words whether it was literature or fiction Mm. and all those type of things was not the case at all because i'd look at their bookshelves and it'd be just studious and narrow and sequential Mm. and that's fine that's their mind but i was like how do you do philosophy without having read uh, a Faulkner or like, yeah. how do you, how do you, how do you do philosophy without, um, I don't know, in my head, like Kathy Acker or like Leo yeah. Tolstoy or like Simone de Beauvoir, like, how do you, how do you do yeah. these things without these influences? But that's unfair. That's the way my head works, but they did it this way. So I never mm-hmm. disaggregated the, the literature and the philosophy and never could. And, um, one other final thing as far as like the identity around that, when I was studying philosophy at Marquette University, it was the only time I went to a private university and I got a scholarship to study there. Brilliant. Very wow. much a fish out of water, as you <laughs> speculate or, or, or guess, very much so. Mm. Um, but when I was there, everybody viewed me as this like super practical oriented, like kind of like I got the East Coast accent yeah <laughs> this kid's from the city how do you end up at marquette like all that wow. into like books and words and weird things so they always saw me as like that like not fit mm-hmm. into the model of this and then when i went to go into labor studies everybody thought i was the foofiest like theoretical conceptual oh, mr like ask him about this super big question i'm like no like I'm a union guy. Like I'm yeah. ready for the battle. And um, I found that time to be so fascinating because I'm like, no, like, like. I'm what are use. <laughs> oh, so, that's so bizarre, but very much something I can imagine happened as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Who are, who are yeah. you? And, uh, and, and that's why, not to go too on, but the uh, literature mm. and philosophy, I, they're globbed in my brain. Mm. How I, yes. How they're, they're uh, 
they're globbed. And I think if you go into different things like yourself, you see how things are just kind of, I don't know how to separate them out there. No. Yeah. You're absolutely, no, that's so true. I think I don't, I haven't felt that, but it's very much in my mind whenever I switch from like a a classics, someone will ask me, Oh, what's your next essay on? I'm like, Oh, it's a classical literature one. I have to do, you know, this piece about, you know, Plato or something, something like that. And they're like, wow, how do you, how do you, you know, keep that in your mind how do you remember I'm like I don't <laughs> but it's, it's very much a thing of like wow this is really intriguing how do you you know class and I, as you said like philosophy is I love that you brought up um thingy like the fact that you're right how do people not read Faulkner how do they not read for myself I'd say Aldous Huxley because he had a huge impact sure. on me in the first year of university when I'd read I think I read Brave New World when I was 17, didn't really understand it. And then I read it again when I was 19. And I was like, I don't know how it shifted in that my brain, really but it impacted shifted. me. That book really yeah. impacted me around 16, 17. I read it like mm. four or five times. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Really. And yeah. it's brilliant. It's yeah. absolutely brilliant book. But you're right in that. How, how have people not read Baldwin, Audre Lorde, um, you know, Harger, like all these brilliant Sure, yeah, poets as well, like HD or Anne Carson, um, who have had brilliant takes on. I think classical literature is obviously what I kind of really. It's, it's a guilty pleasure for me at this point, <laughs> as well as my degree. But, the guilty uh, pleasure luxury that I shall indulge at any time yeah. that I ever want in my life. And any I day. don't have anything due for it, like no deadlines whatsoever. <laughs> like I could just do it in my free time. God, no. Um, but yeah, just bring it when you bring up I bring up Carson or something in like a or no I'd say it's the other way around so one time I brought up like narrative theory because I did a narrative theory course and I brought up um uh, morphology um which is uh prop uh, Vladimir prop who is this Russian um uh, narrative theorist and I, th- I think I was just saying the well the way we know narrative is kind of working is the fact that we have these functions and these spheres of action. We have these characters are like the princess and the hero, the villain, the false hero. And I swear someone just turned around and looked me dead in the eye whenever I was saying that. I was like, if you want to say something, you can say it, but I'm just sharing information. Like, yeah, I don't know yeah. what you want from me. <laughs> um, but they were, I think they were like, in, in their heads, they were like, how does this apply to Homer? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> right. Does. Yeah. Right. And, and and you had it. I wanted to ask you, uh, Zinab, I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about um, uh, looking at your website and uh, just listing as a South Asian creator. And I noticed a lot of things that you write about and talk about that's kind of like, like an action sphere. And I just wanted to like ask you about um, like that group. I know you've done like, <clears throat> like interview and you, you do poetry and, but I, it's your thing. So I wanted to ask you about it. <laughs> yeah, I think I is, is so interesting because I feel like there's a very much a gap for South Asian creatives to be able to freely discuss what they feel about sure current climate and kind of just the history of I'd say for my personal experience like the UK's relation to uh, South Asia so when I created Post Partition I think I was very much 
in shock of myself that I didn't know partition had happened. And I always, it's really bizarre, but you only, you think of your homeland as just this place. You don't think of it as a, a third world country suffering. Or I'll be honest, like I never knew it was a third world country or I didn't know it was going through so much turmoil. Because when you go and visit, you just, you have these little snapshots in your mind. You have these, you know, conversations and relations and everything. And then when you come back and you, learn of history or when you hear when you watch a tv program or something about it you're like okay well why is no why is this just the one-off why are people just talking about it once why can't i you know get people together and be like so what are your opinions of this yes i think this too oh i've never thought of it that way so i think post partition was very very much like i got to meet some brilliant uh, south asian creatives that haven't i did not have on my radar and now these people have like debut collections out it's insane um so they're very much ahead of me of course in my journey but i think definitely i felt there was short an internal gap and a gap within the literature kind of contemporary literature scene that's going on so like sure um the festivals the award ceremonies that happen in the uk so here we have like the forward prize um and it was like the first time after like i think 30 years or something that it come up to manchester from london it's okay. always been in london and i'd gotten some tickets to go see it and um you know it's very unfortunate there were very very few i think i don't know how many south asian poets were nominated um very few um and again same with the fact that not a lot of, a lot of people of color were nominated for a lot, a lot of the prizes um so i think just i think the idea of voids and whenever I see a void in myself or I don't really see myself or see the conversations I want to have being, you know, they're just absent. And I'm like, okay, I have to have to be very practical and just be like, no, this is what I'm going to talk about because, and I think, yeah, the, the issues I like to talk about as well are things that have been said and done and dusted and printed into a collection and never spoken of again. Because you can be a poet, you can have a name, you can have 15 collections under your name and everything, but you will have that one poem in your brain, and I will have that one poem in my brain where I'm like, from that one collection, why are we not teaching that in schools? Why are we, you know, not celebrating that as such a sort of significant poem that, sure, it's it's a personal thing that it changed my mind and it changed the way I look at poetry, but I think, yeah, it is kind of really odd in a time for South Asian literature has come to a weird simmering end in that we've not really seen anyone kind of like Shaw, Mohsen Hamid or um, now we have people like Fatima Asghar I feel who's a brilliant brilliant um, Kashmiri poet who's you know written for Disney now as well Um, but (laughs) the main answer is kind of just absence and void and it's, it's it's like a therapy in a way it's kind of like yeah. therapy in which is bizarre because so many poets do tell young poets and it's not even like in a dangerous sense to say but they do say go see go seek therapy first before you try and deal with issues that are very heavy and whenever I sit with like a mentor that I'm with so I'm with the Royal Society of Literature like I get mentoring from one of the poets there and they kind of are like whenever I sit down with them and I talk with them they're like okay, but you're not being clear about this issue. What are you trying to say here? Like, you're not you're not extrapolating this enough. Like, this is this is something 
internal in your mind it's that you haven't important yeah. for you it it's more for me yeah. yeah and then i was like this is getting very much it's giving freudian kind of like something <laughs> deep set that i've not like turned over yet so it is in a way very therapeutic um but also just fulfilling i'd say and you know people expect kind of philosophical answers to that of like why do you write about you know the uh the struggle of colonial women why do you write about you know uh immigration and everything i think it's it's not much which is ironic to say because i just said like art is a political statement and it is um but it's not so much a political statement as much as it is a statement to assure myself that i i should be allowed and am allowed to talk about yeah. this yeah i'd say just allowing doing like mm. in the doing in, in I see that like an active in the doing in the creating mm. of the event you are in it you have done it so I don't know I I, I feel that I feel yeah. that vibe one of the things I wanted to mention too about um poets on the show like I said I've had a lot of episodes the voice mm. of the show Rachel Lally uh, that you hear is an Irish poet actress mm. actress teacher model everything but she's the voice of the show and uh, Jeff Finan I've yeah. had um, who's uh, uh, in uh, Dublin and mm-hmm. uh, had a spoken word episode as well, Zainab, um, that I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll post this with the episode in the notes for folks and also send them to you. But um, Please, so yes. like like I said, I've had a lot in in in, in just like I think, too, as a creator is like I, I what am I looking for in that? I tell you one thing about poetry, the one thing. And it's mm. not sophisticated, but I know about my sensitivity to it. So I adore paintings. And mm. when I look at a painting and a, a brilliant painting that a German expressionist and Kirk yeah. for me is like, uh, there's something about the neurons in my head and what I see there and looking at that, that is an experience I can't describe. Mm. Poetry for me and there's a whole variety of poetry, but there's sometimes something in poetry where what I'm trying to say as a philosopher, if I'm engaging in that, which is a useful way of trying to say it, mm. it's fucking impossible <laughs> going that route. Like you, you're trying, yeah. right? And you write your essay and, you, and then there's something and there was nothing before that. So there's something before that. Or mm. is it like, or is it like something, something else? And, um, I don't know. I uh, There's a way of inflecting and showing something like a weird moment in the corner that is profound that you caught that I had one of those in the past. And how do you explain that? How do you explain that? It was transferred and you're like, oh, I have permission to be like, remember that weird kind of cool event and like, whoa. And there's (laughs) no way to kind of, there's no way to mediate that except for it. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Maybe I we figured it out together. That. I don't know. Yes. Poetry's <laughs> awesome. That's my other way of expressing it. Poetry yes. is cool. <laughs> yeah. That's me going into a primary school, like an elementary school. And just yeah, like, right. It's cool. It's I got so a, much fun. I, I got a picture in a, a poster board. This is cool. We're going to have fun in its poetry. Yeah. Um, oh. I no, wanted I to, agree. I, I wanted to ask you, and I, and, um, uh, we had, chatted about this and you're so excited on the um the the talking about the things but i had chatted with you about possibly reading 
uh, a poem. Yes, of course. That I was. I'm so delighted you asked because it's, you know, very. <laughs> no one, of course, as you know, wants to hear a poet. <laughs> That's so, something um, rather than nothing is dedicated <laughs> and loves poets. Especially. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> I do. Gosh, thank you. Yes. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy. So I thought I you'd um kind of said to do with like the change of being and you know change and I thought this poem I think it features well it features a volta I guess I could so I can say technically it is very much within the realms of change but I I I kind of wrote this from a prompt I'd done a kind of couple of workshops with post partition and I kind of selected a few prompts from news articles about um, partition and immigration and everything and how you know, it's, it's bizarre how doubled kind of partition occurs. There's an immigration and then, you know, the inviting of um, economic and like sort of, you know, labour from the West, um, from, well, you know, inviting people from India, from Pakistan, Sri Lanka. Um, so I think I was just really intrigued by this one statement um, a writer made um, but I will I will read the poem and if we if you like we can discuss it after because I, I much prefer kind of discussing after yeah. or however you want yeah. yeah so the title is Sirka I will explain <laughs> the title after and uh, the statement the kind of epigraph is um, their history is refugee their origin is immigrant and that's by Priti Taneja who is a writer discussing partition survivors that now live in Britain since the eighties and nineties. Circa. The mantelpiece is greying with such clusters of home, and our Christmas tree is weighty with baubles the size of luddus, is shining green like a passport, green as the suitcase I came in. Outside, a line of Molotov cocktails sit behind the bins, our front garden is fermented with the vomit of passing pubgoers. I honour that suitcase patching, folding like a relative around his edges. He sits above the fireplace like a tired imp, squatted on ignorance. I hold it in the kitchen, not by my side as though I'm going somewhere, but raised up as though I leave Parliament with another life in a leather, in a leather capsule. Tonight, there are no attacks, not while I sleep in bed, once clutching my passport, but in dreaming it is a head, a crib, a buoy brisking, dangling itself on the sky as waves oscillate, a swelling burden of home in four wooden corners, in a moulded black handle. It falls off my bed, crashing as a brick is thrown through the window and colliding with the mantelpiece, making a hole in my stomach. I don't dream of home because someone made it become the sea of tea leaves and oil. I make no homes of the bricks thrown at my family. They're outside, past the rubble and partition of living room window. A fist of flames collects like a bar fight. Thank you. So yeah, that's that's oh, Sirka. <laughs> I, uh, thank you so much. Um, the experience, the experience was uh, incredible. I want to tell you something too. My um, 
as I was listening to it, uh, I had a professor, poetry guy, brilliant mm. poet, taught me all these type of things. But um, we came into his class and uh, he was talking about, you know, poetry and going through it and, you know, what it means, of course, this whole type of thing and how it sounds. And this guy was like, fuck all that noise with like, like all this, like, like, listen, listen first, just listen as long as you want. Listen for hours, read it out loud for hours. And like, what is this guy talking about? Because our heads are going <laughs> towards the figuring the thing out. I guess what I wanted to say is um, I did both experiences of, you know, hearing the words in that way and then pulling back out and mm -hmm. hearing the bumps uh, of your, of your, of your voice. And it brought up, like, how do you talk about poet? How do you talk about poetry? Cause I'm, I'm moved by her and I'd be like, I think it means this, see not like, <laughs> like you read that. And maybe I'll ask another question. Like, I think maybe that's some of the discomfort. Like I was making that joke yeah. of like the guy down the street who's doing poetry, but it reflects something that's there being like, what do we do yes. with poetry? And like, how do we talk about it? Like, yeah. What do you think? <laughs> God, <laughs> it is it is a hard question, isn't it? Is but I think you you're right, and your your professor was right. Just forget that and just just listen to the the noise because I think is it, poetry is meant to make noise and it's meant to, as I said, like shift something. And whenever I talk about it, I kind of want to say to people, don't let it be sort of wallowing. Don't let it be, you know the black and white images of Hardy or anything like that. So, and I guess when, you know, you, people are saying like, oh, you shouldn't ask for meaning, you know, death of the author and everything <laughs> and every, what have you. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really agree with that. I think. Well, there's so much, that, it's all about the meaning. I'm going to say the photograph yeah. that you place in there in the, in the poem, the Molotov cocktails in the color yeah. of the passport and the color, you know, like I said, when I was, Thank you. There, I, I have all that there and then and move yeah. the sound and I was wondering I'm like I've been trained in two ways to hear <laughs> the things to interpret what they mean and find universal meaning and the other one is to hear the cadence and <laughs> mm. <laughs> so they compete. yeah they compete it's, yes it's you do have to find that balance I think of um sort of attraction with voice I think um, because yeah, you don't want images to fall flat on their faces, and they don't. Thankfully, they, any type of poetry performance yeah. I hear, and I never, you know, as long as you're listening, of course, that's that's the main thing. As long as I'm listening and uh, the audience is listening, but I think yeah, what you yeah, the picking up of the Molotov cocktails and the color, and I think I just was so intrigued by, I think law and protest because obviously. Maybe Molotov cocktails are a bit, bit violent for just <laughs> just to say protest, but it, the, the, that that's the um, they lift the weight you need them to lift. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely do. Um, but they um, they represent. I think the Molotov cocktail just represents something not even violent, just very much defensive. The idea that it's just stacked and prepared like ammo in a way. Um, because it, it is to, it's to draw on sort of protest within and what's you know awful is the fact that you know stuff like packy bashing used to occur which is you know just the the skinheads and punks just you know rounding up together and coming to just beat up you know Pakistani Horrific. Bengali Indian yeah so when people were protesting this 
um, you know, the South Asian youth were the ones leading this charge, as as are many sort of, I'm really proud to say that Manchester is a city of protest more than anything else. You know, it's, it's a huge place for Marxism, industrialization, sure, but also welfare um, and, you know, general labor upkeep. And I think I was very much inspired by these exhibitions we have at the uh, Manchester Central Library. We have a, um, a race centre um, which archives um, a lot of, you know, protests from Black, uh, Afro-Caribbean and South Asian um, communities coming together. And the thing is that everyone used to be just coupled under the term Black. So even South Asians and whoever was basically making a ruckus and you know protesting was just considered yeah. to be like you know black and against you know skinheads um so i think i took a lot of yeah inspiration from my hometown sure and this idea of i think transport but static kindness as well in that you're you are constantly held by fear and violence and constantly having to repair a home that will not allow you to call it a home I guess and that is the immigrant experience I feel especially I can't speak to that because I was I was born here so it's a lot more what my you know my family and what my community has kind of grown up with and seen firsthand and talked about to me as well thankfully I've people are very open about it now whereas I whenever I talk to sort of poets from who, who have like immigrant parents they say that their parents are very shameful they're they're very much ashamed of talking and I think that's a thing about poetry you can't really have a lot of shame because if you aren't very much on the borderline of exposure and I guess ownership of that exposure as well there's a very fine line I think where you have to be quite exposed and you have to be very open like I said it is a therapy session for a lot of us but yeah it's very much this very exposing and um bare bones kind of like this this is violence is happening and you know people are prepared for it but they're never prepared for it at the same time and I'd, and saying to make people uncomfortable isn't the right word either but it's to just you know bring attention and whether that makes you uncomfortable is not the con- it's not the emotion i can control of course and i would much rather people be open about that to me in being like Maybe uncomfortable, but it made me think at the same time. So I've done my purpose. I've done what I had to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was just a whole case of like, I was just contemplating how violence was just, you know, a constant thing that happened in the 70s, 80s, 90s. And then it's oddly enough smoothened out now to the point where we obviously we're very we are multicultural we're accepting of one another nothing like this occurs now thankfully um but to think that your your ancestors or your, your just the people you know now in my day the people I know in my daily life went through and witnessed these things and you're like no one wants to talk about it but I have to force them out I have to force it out through poetic form yeah yeah I remember talking to a, a very good friend of mine um mm. was uh prominent in the Washington, uh, DC, uh, punk scene a while back right. in the nineties. And this was a huge, huge, uh, scene and, uh, mm. very political. But I remember being amazed my, my jaw agape when he told me the true history of trying to control that scene for safety, freedom, and space mm. 
against skinheads in in DC because there were actual mm. uh, jostles within the scene to make it safe for others or to lose mm. that battle in fighting. You want to push out the fascist elements, and when he, you know, and he's an African American guy in punk, mm. telling me about how. You know, because I know from the outside, you're at a concert or whatever. I mean, you might not know, but the type of things you were talking about happened yeah. in U.S. cities, right? And it seems like, oh, that was happening. And I remember reading and hearing about the reports um, uh, over over by you. So um, just learning that there's no snapping of the fingers that made some spaces safe for others and no, not yeah. for others. It was... <laughs> It was a fight for some of that stuff. And that's just yes. real, you know? Definitely. Definitely. With I think, yeah, anything needs to come with challenge. And it's, it, I'm just echoing what, you know, previously said, of course, is just art and protest and messages. And whether, you know, a lot of the time, obviously, punks and, you know, having to come full sort of head, like kind of ahead of with, with one another and it takes so much out of you art in, in the arts it takes so much out of you to have to be exposed and having to you know constantly deliver a tiring kind of message that you've rehearsed sure. in your mind but then there were you know you've got to think about the generations before us um that were on the streets actively being like what is going on what is happening and in no way shape or form could you say though that like the poetry scene is any more subtle or less impactful either but it is a very much a thing of like I've seen it change people's attitudes um towards um specific forms of poetry like um spoken word or slam poetry there's uh, weirdly enough a very a weird class divide I, I don't know if you've noticed but there is definitely and in, in the in in Manchester there's even like a geographical divide of like um certain poets from certain areas who prefer to do you know a lot more rap based a lot more music based poetry um and some are very much in their sort of little notebooks notepad note apps and everything just writing precise detail of you know emotional kind of ducks falling into you know deeper waters or something and i'm like it's brilliant it's contentious contentious but beautiful <laughs> I can't go. say I wasn't one of them. So no, <laughs> hey, it's it's that exercise. I gotta, we gotta yeah. get at the, the big, the big strange question, and for you to take a crack yeah. at it, whatever way you want. Why is there something rather than nothing? Some. Why is it something rather than nothing? And it's it's so appropriate now. That I know that you've done philosophy as well. This question it's is so, so philosophical. It's to so me. unfair. It doesn't matter. It Whenever is. I ask the questions, like. That person being unfair, <laughs> fundamentally unfair. But uh, it's and I like that. I appreciate I appreciate any sort of medium that is not being fair to me. Because where is where is the fun in it then? Where is <laughs> I think I've just based my whole life in academia, that's why that's why I'm saying that. But why is it something rather than nothing? And I don't know how many people have said this, but something gives you hope at least. Nothing is that. just yeah, nothing is just as I said, I'm fearful of the void. I'm I'm not a fan of the void. I'm not a fan of nothing. <laughs> I'm very much a fan of, you know, give me the crumbs, give me, give me, give me anything, give me something. So I think 
And anything can come from something. These are all just turning into suffixes now, really. But <laughs> it's, all, I, it's all the yeah. trick. It's all part but of it's, it. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's the hope. It's. I think it's just the hope. I, I hear. I have heard that uh, thematically, mm. and it's, I, I mean, I think when I first heard it, it was always kind of like, "Oh, like," but um, <laughs> I, I think no, I hear that a lot because I think people take it from the. It's almost like if you look at nothing as that absence or there being mm-hmm. no thing, and then you're saying something, it's like, well, maybe I can't prove or show or ever ever know, but I'm gonna like, I'm gonna put my chips over on the something side, you know, like I'm gonna. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm going to put them over that way. It's like uh, yeah. Pascal's wager argument for the wager on God is like, well, in one wager, if you place it here, you know, you can win <laughs> eternal glory. The other way, if you don't put your money over there, you got no yeah. chance. So you I'm going to no put chance. it on the one yeah. with the one for the chance for <laughs> eternal glory. And I love in respect that argument more than anything I think I've ever heard. That's so true. That's, I, I don't know why I was immediately thinking of, um, Achilles and the hero Achilles is like, well, he's guaranteed to die anyway, bless him, but he's going for it. Right. right. He he sulks, he sulks for so long with the Iliad, but he comes through in the end and you know, (laughs) we don't know what happens. That's the quick review. I think you just gave sulks to the other, and then he keeps, yeah, he's he's just awful to, everyone and then he hears Patroclus is in danger and then he hears something happens and he's like no gotta go now so I think if we're looking at a very Achilleid <laughs> Pascalian kind of I don't know I think we yeah. might be like end up producing here the like the typical like Iliad poetry Manchester Industrial Revolution <laughs> Marxist history what is art Kirchner type of you know yeah just like that you know just I'd another one yeah in fairness there are i i could recommend there is a band that i love called the mechanisms and they this is so off topic but it is very much related to it's you on, saying like let's do it in the end yeah. it's on topic on this show <laughs> thanks is they were a they were they were a cabaret band of um uh adventuring space pirates so they all had characters all the all the bands had characters and they um had albums based on folklore. So the first album was um, on the Grimm's uh, Brothers fairy tale. So the first one was called Once Upon a Time in Space, the Space Pirates. Yeah. Um, and then the I think it's the second one is called Ulysses Dies at Dawn. And it's a um, Chicago mob, Iliad sort of <laughs> mix of Greek mythology. It's insane. Wow. It's so raucous and hilarious and brilliant but you you go into the underworld you you see prometheus like defy the gods you um you visit ulysses uh, odysseus and he's like got a drinking problem and he's really upset because (laughs) he can't get home (laughs) i'd say listen to what i do is listen to the mechanisms because they're very inspirational in that turning something from nothing seemingly nothing but something yeah. from something yeah <laughs> yeah no it's a fun it's a it's a it's a fun it's a fun play um mm. i remembered uh we got just a little bit more because yeah, i don't sure. want to forget <laughs> a couple things but i had asked you um very naively about the uh, dark academia and, yeah. and that kind of aesthetic <laughs> and what I what I mentioned to you and it was just just curiosity um mm. so I had um you know plunking around I had heard 
type of music or playlist. And I read a little yeah. bit about the kind of things that it, it invokes this kind of melancholy darkness, comforting in the darkness. I don't know how to describe it all, but, and seeing with your, uh, with your Instagram, I hadn't seen, you know, I saw that right there. So I'm like, well, I have very, such a facile understanding of, of it having just recently encountered. I wanted to ask you yeah. about that it's, conceit yeah. of dark academia. Absolutely. I think it was, I, I don't want to disappoint and say it was a phase where I was like, I'm very into dark academia, but I wouldn't say it's a phase either. It is very much a, um, it's interesting because how, you know, subcultures occurred um, from, you know, whatever age I'd say, whenever subcultures were occurring sociologically, mods, rockers and what have you, of course. Now I feel as a, as Gen Z, we kind of are very focused on, um, wanting to sort of represent but through fashion I think it's all kind of blended now but dark academia madly enough was now has been much more fashion based and much more aesthetics based but it, if you go really deep into it it's the um it's the Donna Tartt the uh Dead Poet Society um writing in the cold uh with your fingers nearly freezing to death because of the snow um and this yeah as you said melancholy and this um but also like sporadic urges to write something very philosophical very poetic at three in the morning and you need to get this idea down now it's this chaoticness and urgency mm -hmm. but it's underpinned by philosophy by education academia traditional sort of classical um education and i think this it is not even just about academic success it's just about being in the throes of a certain muse within yourself saying why aren't you doing, why aren't you researching? Why aren't you, you know, reading about this one tablet from mm. ancient Aztec or whatever, like ancient Mesopotamia or something like, it's just the thirst for knowledge, I guess. And yeah. it's now it's kind of transliterated into aesthetic, I'd say with anything really is, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a fashion choice. It's, um it's a lifestyle. It's not very, very, you know, healthy one to be very much um in the constant burnout phase i guess is what people romanticize yeah about. i'd imagine there's yeah. you know not the fetishism of some of the elements that we would see as like injurious to the self but like yeah. um like seeing that vibe is it is it uh is it is it like is it like thanos and eros i mean like where's the eros in it like is it around exactly. uh, yeah it's it, it, yeah is it is it this sort of like chaos of um, kind of just, you know, reveling in your in your love for knowledge? And is there is, is it even like a thirst or is it is it meant to be a thirst or is it just um, your... you know what I picked up on? Not the mm. say not yeah, what yeah. I picked up on for me that I launched into it at the, some of the visuals that I would see would be yeah. the darkly the darkly appealing. Right. So if you're into books like libraries are like, yeah. What are the words for it? But they're also, for me, have been around like being excited, like intellectually, but also like this, um, like eroticism around like curiosity and like mm. searching, and like, uh, like when people are like, oh, like it, it like what are they doing at like eight thirty? Like, yeah. you know, like in a very curious and weird way, where mm. you can go by people in a bookstore, same type of thing, who are like they're like intently yeah yeah like 
Yeah, might be attracted to like that jag, like what they yeah. got. But there's some like just noticing that type of thing. And so I'm just saying it's like a curious way that I looked at it because obviously it's um probably like rooted in some uh you know things I'll never like leave behind. Uh goth uh and mm. the and the dark. Like I can't leave those things behind. I no, they're yeah. part of my of my thinking, but I also know enduring in that space is not the path I'm on of enduring mm. in that space. So it's not to fetishize or no. like it probably is to romanticize a romantic type yeah. of thing, but I don't know. <laughs> no, you're so right in this. Yeah, it is not even, I wouldn't say obsession. It is this, this manic passion, this sort of Bacchus, you know, like kind of Bacchanal kind of, uncontrollable urge to just know a specific thing as you said like um yeah you're right like what are people doing uh <laughs> to when i go to like a like a 24-hour library like what are you doing with this massive weighty <laughs> and know. like why yeah why are you booking out this you know book from the 16th century like that you won't get for like another two days but you're just like constantly like nail biting waiting for, for to get your hands on it <laughs> i wonder if it is this sort of intrinsic what instinctual fear of hearing about the library of alexandria or like yeah. you know never getting to read sappho's fragments and um you know things you know so much so much information that's just lost to us well and, the idea that yeah. you might not read a book like you might not read a book like that that yeah. weird idea <laughs> that has no place in the head <laughs> Like I can't put that in. Yes. Oh, that that idea screws in my mind so much because I'm like, why would I care? Worst <laughs> idea in the world, ever. It's like I totally get it, but I, I'm at the same time I'm like, I'm not gonna have time for that. People must live eternally because they still have to read. That's my precise. That's my oh. simple. That's my simple <laughs> argument. All right, Zainab, uh, how do we, how do we, uh, how do listeners uh, find your stuff, uh, your website of folks? Yeah. I've ordered some stuff from Zainab that she sent a while ago, but they're on the aeroplane over the sea. Oh, they're <laughs> ridiculous stuff. with that, honestly. Gosh, so, gosh. Um, but tell, tell folks, like, yeah. where to find you, your stuff, uh, see you Thank if applicable. Mm, yeah, thank you. Oh, um, so you can find me on uh, aptly named Dark Academia Zainab. So it's Dark um, Period Academia Period Zainab um, on Instagram. Uh, you can find me uh, on my website um, zainabthepoet.co.uk. Uh, very short and simple for that one, <laughs> as you can tell. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that those are the main sort of avenues. I'm not very. Uh, I'm very active on my Instagram, so please just drop a drop a message and tell me tell me what your favorite poet is, or tell me recommend some poems because I'm always wanting to read more and distract myself from my dissertation. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah, that's that's you, the rub. You, Sorry, you, you've revealed something large within the academic world of which I must check in about. Yeah, you didn't think you had yeah. a top here. Um, no, but uh, yes, please, 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 if you know any aspect of 
working on a dissertation, please distract <laughs> Zainab. You're there. I would appreciate it so much. For the brain or you're curious about. So. I've got a, about two months, so you've got, you've got a good amount of time. All right. Um, uh. But it is, um, it, it's been, uh, it's been a, a great, uh, it's been a great chat. And um, I think we're both excited, some of the similar interest and in being able to connect in this way. I always think it's super special that it's, it's the magic that like we're able to talk and meet in this type of way and like yeah. get into um, the, I think it was 2,122 topics that we did. <laughs> So oh, if anybody wow. needs a little bit more on those, we could parse through. But. Yeah, I'm I'm down. I'm happy. I've, I've got a laptop. I'm ready. <laughs> oh, so it's, uh, but um, yeah, again, uh, thank you for coming on and everybody uh, check you. out. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is such a, such a delight and highlight of my year so far. Honestly, it's been that's, brilliant. That, that, that's, that's, that's super in uh, February from a, uh, <laughs> from the airplane across the sea so yeah oh gosh thank you so much this is something rather than nothing 